Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You know, to this day, one of the things that I love is to check the mail. Anybody like that? You like to go out and check the mail? I don't know why, but my wife will tell you that if I come home and someone has taken the mail in, or the mailman has not come yet, there's this like deep wave of disappointment that comes over me. I love to check the mail. I don't know if it's I'm waiting for something big to happen to come in the mail, but I love to check the mail. So today's kind of a treat for me because in this box here, I have my last week's mail and I could not be more excited to go through this with you today. And I know that you as well could not be more excited to go through my mail with me today. So we've been in a series called Small is the Next Big Thing. We've talked about how God can become more in our life and we can become less. We've looked at things like the people in our lives. We've looked at our possessions. And today we're going to talk about the things that we set out to do, our conquests, the things that are on our to-do list. And we're going to ask the question, how can God become more in those things? How can we become less? So I'd like you to help me today go through some of my mail. And I want you to help me decide which of these pieces of mail that I keep and which ones that I toss. And if I keep these, these you're basically adding to my to-do list here based on your response. So give me a thumbs up if you want me to keep it, thumbs down if I should toss it, if it's going to be a distraction, okay? So let me pull some of this. I got a whole box. I can't go. It would take hours to go through all this. Okay, I get, here's an a ad from, looks like, Time Warner Cable Spectrum. Okay. <laughs> all right. How about uh, Geico? I could save more money than before. That's a down. Okay. Uh, Discover card, no annual fee. But it's a no annual fee. Gosh. Oh, it looks, like, it looks like Kai got a college letter. We're getting a lot of these from Bard College at Simon's Rock. Where's Kai? <laughs> Tosses, okay. Uh, okay, here's a zoo, for a Zoo member. We're Zoo members. This is just, oh, I'm seeing some thumbs up now. I'm keeping it. Okay, we're going to keep that. Columbia Gas Bill. No. <laughs> you, you're going to get me in trouble, okay? I have to keep that. Um, here's a letter from Hallie Miller, Story Runners. This must be an update letter. You better thumb, thumbs up this. Okay. Here's a bank statement from U.S. Bank. Do I keep it? What would you do? Okay. <laughs> true. True. Uh, here's a letter from Hilliard City High School, Hilliard City School from Darby. Do I keep it? Okay. Wow. <laughs> that could be a problem. Uh, sewer bill? I got to keep the bills, sorry. Uh, health insurance premium, I'm going to keep this. Okay, here's an opportunity. It looks like from Faith Mission to help people uh, give some money for Thanksgiving meals. Do I keep it or do I toss it? Looks like I got mostly thumbs up. The rest of you are feeling very guilty for not saying anything. I'll put that in to keep. Oh, here's another. Samford University. Kai, looks like they want you as well. You are, you are wanted. We'll throw that out. Um, Tuesday morning. Do I keep it or pitch it? Okay, okay, okay. So this right here is the stack of mail that you want me to keep, right? So you have just added to my to-do list, so thank you very much for adding to my to-do list. In all seriousness, why talk about to-do lists today? It's, it's because the level of our activity and the things that we set out to pursue 
and our lives are going to have consequences. They're going to have consequences on our body. They're going to have consequences on our mind. They're going to have consequences on our soul as well. Now, how many of you keep some form of a to-do list, whether it's on your phone, on paper, on a calendar? Okay, most of you do. Anybody love like checking off that list, just checking off something on a list? It feels so good, doesn't it? Um, some, some of you rebel against lists. Anybody here like, I will not have anyone, especially myself, telling me what to do, okay? Some of you are like me. You've got lists compiled in different places, and this is very dangerous because you have a list at home, a list at work, a list somewhere else, and I have reminders on my phone to check my lists because I know I'm going to forget to check them. But isn't it the most beautiful thing, those of you who are like me, when you take two of those lists or three and you bring them together and you write out one list from those three very neatly because you know that when you do that, things are definitely going to get done when you write it out neat like that and put it on one list. So let's talk about our to-do lists because there's a question I have in all of this and and it's a question I pose to the teaching team as we kind of prepared for this. And I want to ask you, have you ever asked yourself some questions about when you, when you look at your to-do list or you, you plan on how you're going to fill your calendar or spend your time, have you asked questions like this? God, is this what you want me to do? God, what, what do you want me to do? What's your desire with my time? What do you want me to pursue? And just like here, it was very quiet. But we began to have a really honest conversation about the noise that goes on in our lives and the fact that there's there's just not time and space to even ask that kind of a question. God, what do you want me to do? And that is a big, a big problem. Now, earlier I chose one somewhat outdated mode of, of communication, the mail, to filter with you, but how many more streams come at us at a relentless pace with their voices just urging us to pay attention, to take notice, don't get left out, respond immediately. It's on our phones, it's on our TVs, it's social media, email, text, it's work, it's people, it's our kids. They speak voices into our life. It's our significant others. It's from ourselves too. I want this. I need this in my life. It's just a constant flow of messages. We're bombarded by requests. You know that interest rate is 2%. You've got to take advantage of that interest rate right now. You know, have you, have you kept up with where your kids are in school? You know, your cars, they're due for that service check. Have you, have you done that yet? Your favorite show, the season finale is tonight. You've got to watch that in real time. Yeah, the requests, they keep coming and they keep coming. And we're pulled in every direction. And navigating these voices is like a full-time job. We do it throughout our day. Is it any surprise that we're stressed out, that we're full of anxiety, we're full of, of fear, feeling like things are undone, like we're missing out, or like we're constantly failing someone, somewhere, I mean, you step back and you look at it and you say, why would any people choose to live in this kind of chaos and madness? But we do it. Richard Foster 
uh, wrote a book called The Freedom of Simplicity, and he talked about the struggle that we have. This is what he says, within all of us is a whole conglomerate of selves. There's the timid self, the courageous self, the business self, the parental self, the religious self, the literary self, the energetic self. And all of these selves are rugged individualists. No bargaining or compromise for them. Each one screams to protect his or her vested interests. If the decision is made to spend a relaxing evening listening to music, the business self and the civic self rise up in protest at the loss of precious time. The energetic self paces back and forth, impatient and frustrated. And the religious self reminds us of the lost opportunities for study or evangelistic contact. If the decision is to accept an appointment on the Human Services Board, the civic self smiles with satisfaction, but all the excluded selves filibuster. No wonder we feel distracted and torn. No wonder we overcommit our schedules and live lives of frantic faithfulness. And how did we get here? Because it's the American way now. It's the way we do things from a young age our kids are, are taught and raised to, to fill every moment of their time with something. Tablets, phones, TVs. In middle school, the voices speak out to say, you better start thinking ahead to how you present yourself and get ready for college. In high school, we've got homework, we've got activity, we've got maybe work as well. And as parents, we say, well, it's good for them, right? Maybe it'll keep them out of trouble. And then we get to... To college, and there's more voices, more options. Voices saying, if you don't choose me, the odds are going to be against you. And after college, there's work, perhaps marriage, maybe not, maybe kids. And if it is kids, it starts all over again, and you have a new set of voices speaking into your life. If you really love them, you'll give them this or that. Here's an example of that. Take a look. The families trade their time and their money in exchange for elite coaching, plenty of games, and better competition than the local blues. Last year, the sports tourism grew by 20% over the year prior. Well, we have uh, 31 outdoor soccer fields, and we have 26 diamonds. And the voices just keep coming. And the question is, how is, all this, how is all this working for us as followers of Christ? Jesus says in the midst of this, these words, and we've heard them before, but I want to read them again. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Now be honest, isn't there a part of you that says, rest? That is impossible in 2017. It's impossible to have that kind of a mindset. There's a disconnect here. 
between what the Bible says and what I'm experiencing in my life. Or maybe you're just saying, what does Jesus want me to do with this relentless stream of, of voices and opportunities and choices that are coming towards me? Or maybe you're at the point where you're a follower of Jesus and you look at what your schedule's like in your calendar and you say to yourself, this cannot possibly be how God meant for me to live. I am way out of balance. He means more than this. Today we're going to talk about the things we set out to accomplish. We're going to ask some questions. One, what voices are determining what's on our to-do list? Where does God's voice fit on that? And what does God want on our to-do list? So turn with me to John chapter 14. Now, John chapters 14 through 17 are known as the final discourse. These are the words that Jesus spoke to his closest followers right before he was about to give his life for them. And before he was about to leave them physically, he spoke to them about home. He spoke to them about peace. And he spoke to them about how he would lead them once he left the earth. So let's start in verse 23 of John 14. And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's look. Let's start at that first verse there. What does Jesus say? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. We will make our home with him. What does it mean that Jesus and the Father want to make their home with us? What does that mean? Let's talk about that, first of all, about that word for home, because it's a pretty important word in the original language, the Greek. Most of the times when you talk about a house, a physical location, the Bible comes up many times, the word in the Greek is is oikos or oikia, and it refers to just the physical uh, location, the place of a house, but here the word is different for home, and the, the word is monet, and it's rich, and it's got a lot of depth to it. And it doesn't just mean a place to be, it means a place to abide, a place to dwell, a place to remain. He has come to make his permanent dwelling place with us. That, that's an amazing picture if you think about it. I've come to make my permanent place with you, to dwell with you, to abide with you. Sometimes we have people come into our house and they come and they visit, don't they? And they stay a while 
and then they leave. Sometimes we're glad they leave, but sometimes that happens. But how does it change our mindset, our perspective, if someone is coming to stay permanently? And not just stay in our physical house in a location, but they're coming to abide and to live with us. Think about it. What does it mean to have someone become part of your house in that way? You know, we were designed to be inhabited by the one who made us. It was his intention to live with us. I bet you didn't know that Jesus had a suitcase yeah, he likes suitcases, particularly the gray one, I guess. But he's come to make his home with us. And of course, when Jesus comes to make his home, he, of course, wears all white. We know that. He has come, though, to make his home with us. He's come to be here, whether we go through things that are good or things that are bad. He has come to be close to us, closer than we could ever imagine. He has come to live with us in such a way that when the voices, when the opportunities come to us, he's there with us to filter and to make decisions with us about our time. He's come to make his home with us. He wants to walk through life together with us. This is going to have a pretty significant impact on us and what we do in the day-to-day and the choices that we make because he's come to lead our house. He's come to set the course and the direction for it. If we view him as a visitor, which I believe that's what our hearts are kind of inclined to do or to drift towards, then we miss the point of what he's come to be in our lives. God with us. God in our home. God in us. Christ in us. And Paul understood this distinction of Christ being in him. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been put to death to my life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in him. So this is not a visit that Jesus is making to our lives. This is not a pop-in. It's, he's here to stay. The one who was and is and is to come is here to stay. And we'll only dabble in giving God a voice in our lives when we view him as a visitor and not the Lord of our lives. Let's pick up in uh, John chapter 14, verse 25. It says, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, Jesus understands, he's, he's communicating here that he's about to leave and he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to play an important role in leading us when Jesus is gone now. It's the Spirit that's going to teach us everything we need to know. It's the Spirit that's going to remind us of who Jesus was, what he said, who he is, what he would do. 
and he's going to be very important in what we set out to accomplish. And then Jesus goes on in verse 27 to say these words, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace. What is this peace that Jesus is talking about? This is not the absence of conflict in our life. We know that because we know that as Christians, we're going to have hardship. We know that we're going to struggle. Uh, There's going to be suffering in our life. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of peace here, a kind of of spiritual and emotional kind of peace on a soul level. He's talking about soul rest. Soul rest I leave with you. Soul rest I give to you. Now what is soul rest? What is soul rest? Soul rest is the kind of rest that rises above circumstances. It's it's a steady kind of trust. It's communion. It's intimacy with God. It comes from knowing that he's chosen to make his home with us. It comes from knowing that we are profoundly loved by God unconditionally that he knows us down to the number of hairs on our head, that he holds the future and he holds our future in his hands. It's a rest that comes from just being dependent on him. It's a rest that doesn't need others' approval. It's a rest that's not measured by what we've done or accomplished. It's, it's this living for an audience of one living with him. Come to me, he says, all you who labor, all you who are burdened, and I will give you soul rest. That's something we're supposed to live in. It's something we're supposed to cultivate in our life. It's something Jesus did with the Father. It was one of his priorities. We've got to leave space for this soul rest in our life. I want to read to you, and I, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm pretty shocked because I knew this happened in the Bible, but I cannot believe the amount of times that Jesus left what he was doing for this kind of soul rest, this prayer, this communion time with his Father. I want to read to you some of the examples. Listen to this. Mark 1.35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, 15 and 16, the crowds had gathered around him to be healed, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to be with God there. Matthew 13, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. I can't tell you how many times Jesus went off to be alone, and that's when a a teaching would start or uh, healings would happen when Jesus was in solitude. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there all alone. Luke 9, once Jesus was praying in private. Matthew 15, Jesus went up from there beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain, and he sat down there. 
Luke or John 7, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. That was about a five days journey, 90 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem in solitude. Luke 22 talks about the Mount of Olives and the fact that it was the usual place that Jesus prayed when he was in Jerusalem. Mark 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And you think to yourself, man, if anybody, who else could be more connected to God the Father than Jesus himself? I mean, don't you, you've had those thoughts, haven't you, about that? Like, how were they connected in some way while he was in here on earth? Like, what was their connection with each other? But Jesus had the need to go off and to be alone with the Father. And you say, you may say this because I feel the same way. You say, there's no time for that. There's absolutely, you have not seen my schedule. There's no time for that. And I will say this to you. Try being with people who are hurting and who need your healing and who have come to you, which, which has happened to Jesus, and then leaving them purposefully to go be with the Father. Talk about pressure to see the need in front of you of other people and then to say, no, I, I need to be with the Father. I need to be in solitude. I need soul rest. I need to pray. What an example that is for us to be able to leave the things we think we cannot leave in our lives. You know, for me, sometimes it's, it's, a, in the mo- it's usually the morning for me to get alone in this kind of quiet. Um, sometimes it's, I get to that point where I'm like, this needs to happen. This is not, I'm, not, I'm not living healthy here. And I'll go off and I'll go to a park or I'll get away and just be with the Lord. Jesus says, soul rest I leave with you, my soul rest I give to you. He goes on to say, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he makes a distinction here between what he offers us and what the world offers. He says, I come, I come to bring you true peace, soul rest. I'm not like the peace that the world is going to try to sell you. That's not real. It's a false peace. It's not built on dependence and intimacy with God. It's built on self-reliance. And there's no soul rest in that kind of peace that the world says is peace. There's instead chaos and this unquenched desire for more, this busyness, this striving to get to a purpose, to get to soul rest, but it can't happen because it's unattainable outside of what God can give. And this false peace that we chase after has an effect on our soul. John Ortberg was an author. He's an author, and he wrote in his book, Soul Keeping. He said this, somebody said long ago that if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy because either way your soul will shrivel. Our world will divert your soul's attention because it's a cluttered world. And clutter is maybe the most dangerous result because it's so subtle. We mistake clutter for life. We mistake clutter for life. If we cease to be busy, do we matter? And a person preoccupied with external success, reputation, ceaseless activity, lifestyle, may be dead internally and not even know it. Do you hear that? We can be dead inside from this busyness and not even know it. 
But Ortberg goes on to say, with a lot of hope, it takes a little, such a tiny, little, uncluttered space in our lives to give the seed some room to grow. The cluttered soul is closer to being saved, to being freed, than it knows. Can I say this? Be encouraged today. Though you may feel buried under this weight of whatever's going on in your life, under the anxiety of trying to keep up, hope is closer than you know. It takes a small step, a choice to a life where fear and worry and anxiety don't dominate your life. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. And that peace of God, that soul rest, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So why don't we choose this? We know it. We've heard the words before. Why do we not choose to live in this? One is because we live in a world that has set a pattern and we've become accustomed to the way it operates. Another reason is because in order to get to this place of soul rest, we've got to create some space that means we're going to have to eliminate some things in our life. And that's hard for some of us to do that. Another reason why we don't choose to live is because when we finally get that space in our lives, that time for silence with God, it's uncomfortable because we find the pain, the disappointment, the hurt that we've been burying by being busy, and it finally comes up in our lives. And another, another reason we don't pursue this soul rest is because our world, even in the church, makes us feel ashamed to do it. Oh, you've got time to go out and spend half an hour in solitude with God. Wow. And you're kind of made to feel lazy. Well, then Jesus was lazy, if that's the case. But our enemy is having victory in this area for a lot of us. He is a confuser. He, he puts things in our path to numb us, to keep us from that soul rest where God speaks to us, where God pours into us. Soul rest was a priority of Jesus. Put that, put that on your to-do list. Also on his list was purpose. He was on mission. Most of what he was doing here on earth was the will of the Father. It says in John 6, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He says in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus had a purpose, a reason. And we have a purpose too. Some of us have lost our focus, but we have a purpose. Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand in advance for us to do, that we should what? We should walk in them. So two things on Jesus' to-do list, peace and purpose. Now let me tell you why we can't live in those things, and we don't. 
And it goes back to the very beginning. It goes back to, as it always does, to Genesis and to two ways of living. We live independently from God and we live under the influence of other voices. Because you think back to, to the garden and to Adam and Eve there in Genesis, and you know that Adam and Eve were first tempted by what? They were tempted by an influence, by a voice that came in and enticed them towards what? Towards independence. And things are absolutely no different today when it comes to us. We're tempted to live independently. We're tempted to live under the influence of others. Satan says to to Adam and Eve, you'll be like God. You'll have independence. And the independent heart says, I know what's best. I don't need God to speak into my life. And so we set our own course. We become the master of our own ship. Um, it's pretty well shown in the Bible, in the book of James. This is a picture, okay? This is a picture of the independent heart from James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it for him, it's a sin. You see in this passage, the independent heart. It sets, it sets the time. It sets the place. It sets the, decides how long, the duration. It even assumes the outcome of what's going to happen. And it's described as an arrogance mindset. Because our, our Lord, the one who's made his home with us, has said, I want you to be dependent on me. I want you to come to me and say, God, do you will this to happen? Is this what you want? Ephesians 5 challenges us. It says, look carefully how you walk, making the best use of your time. Because the days are evil, therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's Ephesians 5, 15. In this James passage, you also see a heart that's under the influence because you kind of see a system to the way the world does business here at this time. This is just how it's done. This is how things happen. And God speaks into this and he says, I'm above that. I'm above your business model. I'm above the way that things work. You are a mist. I love you, but you're a mist. I was and is and is to come. If the Lord wills, challenges us not to be under the influence. Romans 12 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And there's the way out. 
there's the way to, to transformation, the renewing of your mind. Guys, I will tell you, I'm the number, I, number one sinner in this area, guilty. I try my hardest to set my sights on God and to keep my focus on Him, but I am so easily influenced by the voices that are around me. And it's so quickly, I can take my eyes off of, of eternity and of living for, with purpose the way God wants me to and buy into what's being sold around here in this world. And I've got to, I've got to step back. And I do, I step back and, and say, and renew my mind. God, this is what you called me to do and be in this world. God, reset my heart to be about soul rest, to be about the purpose you want in my life. When the voices come, God, help me to step away and to say no to those things. So let's do some renewing this morning, okay? Let's do some renewing together of our minds. Let's call some things out, some voices that come. Voices that say that we are powerless to say no when things come up in our lives. We may feel we have no choice, but we do. Jesus himself walked away from things that could have been done that seemed the most important thing in the world. Let's call out the voice that says we can manage all this ourselves. We cannot keep adding to our list without it costing us something somewhere else. We cannot add to our list without it subtracting somewhere else. I will tell you this. I can't tell you how many times I've been here, 20 years, that I've seen people come into this body, find the Lord, want to serve Him, want, desire to do His will, and then a voice comes in. And then pressure comes in from outside. And eventually, the fire that was there, dims. And the voices are listened to. And before long, the person's gone. Not here anymore. Just like the parable of the sower, the third seed that was scattered and the cares of the world came and took the, the seed away, choked out. Can we also call out the voice that says that we have to be like others, because it's the opposite of what God wants for our lives. We're going to stick out sometimes when we choose to live for Christ. He's come to make his home with us, with us to abide and to dwell. Seeking first his kingdom is not just a number to be added to the list of things to do. It is the list it is everything, soul rest and purpose. Can I say this too? Around here, we are very careful because we know that we can be guilty as much as anybody else to adding chaos and noise, events, do this for God, do that. We're very careful around here. That's why we have been so focused in saying, come Sunday morning, be in a cell group and then leave space for God and leave space for him to, to speak to you and to be involved in the things, the purpose that he has for you. We talk about that as we're planning, as we're setting calendars. It's really important to us not to choke out what God is doing and 
and your chance to be with him, but let's not fill up that time with just outside stuff. Less is more. Small is the next big thing. Three things I just want us to focus on. I really want to focus on the first today. But these are just things to take with you. I feel funny doing this on a message about to-do lists. Here's three things to add to your to-do list. But these are, really, these are really things, these really have to do with taking away things more than anything. Number one is to create some space in your life for soul rest. Create some space. Eliminate some streams of constant attention. You know, we joked about Groupon earlier, but how many of us sign up for those emails, those voices that come and we get distracted? We spend five minutes here, right? Ten minutes there. Before long, it's an hour and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm behind on other stuff and we feel all the pressure. What would it be like to say, you know what? I don't need that voice in my life. I can, I can come and whoever has moved into my house, I'm kicking them out. And if the Lord wills you to go on a vacation, okay, with your, with your spouse, get on Groupon.com. You can look, but you don't need to sign up for all the email lists and the things that come. Those things can be distractions. You guys each know, as I do, what those distractions are in your life. For some of you, it's, it's, it's the, the arguments, the drama that comes with online stuff, the political uh, infighting, the things that, of that nature that just, just eat time, and the enemy is having victory there. For some of us, it's, it's, uh, it's social media. We've got to set boundaries around that stuff. Guilty here, Okay to set our, our boundaries, to put our phones away, or else we won't get to that soul rest. We'll fill our lives. Let me say this as well. You know, some of us love TV entertainment, and I think it has its place. It's not like we're not supposed to have any kind of fun. But if you can have this mindset when you go to add a new show or to, you're going to add another book that you read or another form of entertainment, if you can have this mindset when you go to do that, you say to yourself, I realize that as I add this, this is going to cost me somewhere else. I think if you can, can think and through those terms, you'll find that you might choose things a little less and be a little more selective when you know that it's costing you somewhere else, which it is. So here's a, here's a little assignment. I want to ask you by, by Thursday, okay, this week. I want you to find half an hour. You may think it's impossible. Find a half an hour to get away from the noise, to get away from any kind of voices that are coming your way, any kind of things that your eyes are going to be distracted with, and go spend some time with God. You can drive out somewhere, go, go in the back of your house if you've got a place, Find some time to be silent in solitude with God. The other two of these are very just real simple things. These have to do with the list that you have and the list that you make. If you have a list, I challenge you to filter that list. Filter your agenda, the things that you've set up, and ask yourself these questions. How does each of these things on my calendar or on my list, how does it help me love God? How does it help me love others? Very simple. Just go through your list and ask those questions. The third one is set his agenda. This is forward thinking. In the next month, in the next year, in the next week, 
God, what do you want me to do? How can I love you more? How can I find soul rest? How can I get away with you? God, how can I have purpose in the next season? Asking those questions. Those are three things, but the most important one is the first one because the first one feeds those other two. When you have time for God to speak into your life, you'll find that the things on your list will begin to change. So I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We're going to sing a song at the end here today, but here's what I want to do. And in a moment, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer during the series, and there are a couple lines in the Lord's Prayer. Um, Your will be done. There's also the other line, lead us not into temptation. God, keep the voices at bay. Help us not to let the voices into our lives. But before we, we read the Lord's Prayer together, here's what I want to do. I just want to have 90 seconds, okay? And I want to ask you to close your eyes, and we're going to spend 90 seconds in silence with God today, okay? 90 seconds. So let's do it. Would you stand with me? And let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's take a moment just to worship him, to fix our eyes on the one who gave his life for us. He's come to make his home with us. He's come, he gave his life for us. He gave, he rose from the dead so that we could be free, so that we could have him in our home to lead us, to help us through this life. Let's worship him today.